Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrens. Starbucks ordered to reinstate 12 workers, all fired for their union activities. Teachers in Newton, Massachusetts, reach a deal on a contract after striking illegally. And today on the show, we check in with Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio and a labor union attorney on the Semex decision. Welcome to the Thursday, February 8th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to check in with uh, one of our latest sponsors, and that would be Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio, insulators50.com. Pretty broad jurisdiction there in Central Ohio. Goes from the eastern part of the state to the western part, including some counties in Indiana. And we're going to be talking to Darla Reed. Darla's got an interesting story. She was born in Alaska, and that's because her dad was in the military. Her family moved to Ohio when she was just four, grew up in southern Ohio, and she's one of seven children. She started out working at McDonald's, then decided to go to college. After college, she realized her degree would not provide the funds needed to pay back her loans. How many times have we talked about that on the show? So her brother, her brother was an apprentice with Local 50. And she said, hey, you know what, Darla, why don't you give it a try? So she applied. And then Dan Poteet, the business manager, said, you know what? I like what I see. (laughs) She completed the uh, apprenticeship program. And like I said, she's now a foreman. In uh, Eastern Columbus, she's also a JATC instructor, and she really, really likes the transition into the trades, and she's going to talk about women in the trades. There are more women being employed within the trades, and she wants to have a full discussion on that. She's going to get into the apprenticeship program, and uh, she's quoted as saying she had no idea what to expect when she first started in the union, and she's surprised by so many of the resources that they are uh, that are available to her and everybody. So Darla Reed will be our first guest later in the show. We are going to check in with an attorney who's based in uh, Michigan. His name is Richard Mack Jr. I'll tell you, this guy is very, very impressive. As an attorney, Richard has represented unions in litigation, grievance arbitration, and negotiations surrounding multiple aspects of public and private sector law. I'll give you an example here. In the city of Detroit bankruptcy, and we talked a lot about that on the show some years back when that happened. In that situation, he served as the chief lawyer for a coalition of nearly 30 unions, city of Detroit unions, as well as AFSCME. During the bankruptcy, Richard helped negotiate a template union contract which offered city employees, critical employment stability, and some compensation increases. I remember talking about that because 
the opposing law firm wanted to wipe everything out, wipe all of their pensions out. And here comes Richard Mack said, we, we're not going to go down that road, buddy. As uh, an employment and civil rights litigator, he secured millions of dollars for his clients. He became a member of the Miller Cohen law firm. This was back in 2011. And today he is regarded as a super lawyer. His victories include more than a million dollars for government employees who were illegally furloughed, awards for retirees on fixed incomes who faced illegal reductions in compensation and health care, and get this one, after suing Wayne County under the First Amendment and Michigan's whistleblower statute for firing an employee who complained about pollution in a Michigan river, Richard Mack not only attained a substantial financial payout for the client, but an investigation led by the state and other measures brought about an improvement in the pollution problem. That's a guy that knows his job and has been successful in life. And that's why he belongs on the show. And what we're going to do with the Richard is kind of tear apart this Semex decision. In August of last year, the National Labor Relations Board issued a decision in this case, which pretty much overturned labor law from 50 years ago. They called it the Linden Lumber Standard. And with that standard, if you decided to um, organize at your workplace and everybody voted for a union, the employer could say, hey, we're not going to recognize you. End of story. Well, under the new standard, the NLRB held that if an employer is confronted with a demand for recognition, well, the employer has two options. Number one, agree to recognize the union or refuse to recognize the union in which the case the employer must promptly, and we're talking within two weeks, file a petition to test the union's majority support and challenge it if they want to. Definitely uh, change the dynamics when it comes to union organizing. So uh, we'll get into that. I'm sure we'll talk about the uh, Detroit bankruptcy as well. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Starbucks has been directed to reinstate 12 workers in two states, New York and Colorado. And this is by two NLRB judges who found the company unlawfully terminated them due to their involvement with the union. Administrative law judges Robert Ringler and Mara Louise Anzalone separately ruled on labor violations detailing instances of unlawful conduct, including threats, unfair firings, and interference with union activities. Now, despite this, some terminations, such as that of a New York employee wearing a suicide awareness pin, were not deemed illegal by Judge Ringler. That's interesting. Bottom line is this. The decisions reflect a trend of judges with the labor board ruling against Starbucks, citing a number of labor law violations, including so far the unjust firing of over 50 union organizers and interference with board investigations. This company, they just refuse to stop. They're going to continue and continue and continue to beat down anybody that organizes. 
After two weeks of striking and negotiating, teachers in Newton, Massachusetts, finally reached a deal with the city's school committee. The agreement marks the end of years of negotiating, which began in October of 2022. Now get this, despite being illegal for teachers to strike in Massachusetts, the Teachers Association members walked off the job last month, January 19th, to protest the stall talks. The strike affected nearly 2,000 educators and around 12,000 students. Students missed 11 days of instruction, which the district will need to make up before the end of June. The agreement includes additional parental and family leave, a pay increase of 12% over the life of the contract. It's a four-year contract. And increased numbers of social workers, school counselors, and psychologists in schools. By the way, the union ratified the agreement over the weekend. 97% of the membership voting in favor. Well, in honor of Black History Month, this month is Black History Month, America's workforce continues to profile a number of African Americans, namely those who have been trailblazers in the union movement. And today, we celebrate the life of Bayard Rustin. Bayard was born into a family of Quakers and activists in Pennsylvania. Growing up, his grandmother, Julia Rustin, was involved with the National Association of the Advancement of Color People, and his home was visited by black leaders, including W.E.B. Du Bois and Mary McLeod Bethune. He carried this upbringing with him dedicating his life to the philosophy of nonviolence and the fight for human rights. Rustin saw the interconnection between global struggles for racial, economic, and social justice. He played pivotal roles in the major movements of the second half of the 20th century, from co-founding the Congress of Racial Equality, or better known as CORE, combating colonialism, in India, Ghana, Nigeria, and South Africa, working for nuclear disarmament, including the 1963 March on Washington, also advocating for LGBTQ rights, organizing for worker empowerment, and demanding greater HIV-AIDS education. As a gay black man, Bayard Rustin was often pushed behind the scenes of these movements, his role in history, too often forgotten. As a member of the Executive Council of the AFL-CIO and a founder of the AFL-CIO's A. Philip Randolph Institute, Bayard Rustin fought against racism and discrimination in the labor movement. His leadership in these organizations focused on building diverse coalitions for the benefit of all mankind. And in closing, he's quoted as saying, we are all one. And if we don't know it, we'll learn it the hard way. Bayard Rustin passed away in 1987 at the age of 75. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. 
From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by Blue Cross and Blue Shield's National Labor Office. You know, Blue Cross and Blue Shield companies formed out of a need to provide affordable health care to teachers, to loggers, and miners. Well, in 1965, the Blues developed the National Labor Office to strengthen its commitment to organized labor. And today, Blue Cross and Blue Shield's National Labor Office remains focused on America's workers advocating for affordable and equitable health care partnering with strategic alliances to provide industry-leading products and services, and proudly serving more than 18 million unionized workers, retirees, and their families, working hard for America's working families, for the health of America. You can learn more by following them at Blue Labor on LinkedIn and X, formerly known as Twitter. Let's go to line number one. Welcome Darla Reed to the show. Darla is with Local 50 of the Insulators in Central Ohio. Big jurisdiction, as I mentioned, across uh, Central Ohio going into uh, parts of Indiana. Insulators50.com. Also a proud sponsor of America's Workforce. We're trying to make sure they can get as many people over there because of, <laughs> of the construction boom in Central Ohio with that Intel plant, Facebook, Google. And Darla is going to join us to talk about her journey into Local 50. And as you know, we talk about getting more women, people of color, into the trades because it's the pathway to the middle class. And she's enjoying what she's doing. Darla Reed, 
Thanks for uh, joining us here on America's Workforce. And your name came up. The reason you're on the show today in the conversation I had with Dan Poteet, the business manager down there, he uh, referenced you and he's really proud of what you're able to accomplish at Local 50. But uh, talk to me about your journey. I, I see you were born in Alaska. Your dad was in the military and then you, uh, you moved back to Ohio when you were just a toddler. Well, a little bit more than that, four years of age. Why don't you pick it up from there and uh, talk to me about how you found your way. And now you're an instructor. That's a pretty cool story. Go ahead. It's all yours. Well, hey, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's a great opportunity. But, um, yeah, my dad was in the military. That's how they got up to Alaska. And then I moved back to Ohio, um, was raised in a small town down south, Jackson, and grew up homeschooled, never really was, was never in a public school setting until I went to college. And I got a job at McDonald's, like any kid I feel like would, and started working there and then quickly realized that's not really a career for me. <laughs> I wasn't really interested in that kind of money and work. So I went to college, thought that was going to be the, the ticket right there, and that was going to get me to where I needed to go. And in aspects, it did. It was a good time. I learned a lot of good skills. But then after that, I found myself working at Aldi, and my brother at the time, Benjamin, he was in uh, Local 50 Insulators. He's in the union, and he was like, you know, you're not enjoying working with customer service. You're not enjoying fast food. Why don't you just try getting in the union? And if you don't like it, you know it's not for you. At least you tried it. Mm-hmm. So I did, and now here I am. Completed the apprenticeship. I'm an instructor for the local. I'm an instructor for the building trades. Um, yeah, it's just been really great. Did you ever complete college? Did you graduate? I did. Yes, I have an associate's degree in equine science. All right. And it's just okay. really hard to get a good-paying job in that field. Horses are expensive, if you did not know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and, and I understand you have a lot of uh, student loan debt. Yeah, I do. I'm paying on those, and thank heavens I've got this job to help me pay on those, but I mean, that's kind of what it is. You go to school, you pay the loans, and that's kind of what I signed up for. I just didn't expect I wouldn't be in that field, but I'm happy that I have such a good job that I had that experience, and I'm still not, I mean, I'm paying for it financially, but yeah. not emotionally, if that makes sense. No, no, I hear it. And, you know, I'm a father of five children, and you and I share something, too. We both worked at McDonald's. My, my, my... <laughs> My work at McDonald's went long before you started there, and that's when uh, the minimum wage was a buck thirty an hour. This was in the okay. late '60s. Yeah, this was in the late '60s, and, and this is ridiculous too because that's over fifty years ago. And the national minimum wage is seven twenty-five. Now it's higher in Ohio because of what right. voters yep. did, but but it, it, it's just ridiculous because it should be it should be fifteen, sixteen, seventeen dollars an hour when you factor in inflation. But the cost right. of college, yeah, that that's another story, but I'm not going to get into it. So talk to me <laughs> about the apprenticeship program. Was um, Okay, let, let's be honest here. You're a female. The, you know, the trades yeah. are primarily male. How difficult yeah. was, was that for you to adapt? Um, at first, it was a little bit of a learning curve just because of that dynamic. There were so many men to women. But honestly, being in this local, I've never felt singled out or like I didn't belong here. It was a pretty easy segue into this kind of work. I've always liked tactile work. I've always liked working with my hands. And so 
that aspect was really nice, and everyone was really willing to help, to teach, to help me learn, to kind of guide me in this field. And all of the members have had my back numerous times. And if I ever had a, a question or anything, I could go to any one of them, and they would all be really willing to help. And so I'm very thankful. They're very appreciative for that. What were, uh, what were some of the issues? What, what came up that, that you were questionable about or you had some difficulty with? Well, just being, there was a couple smaller jobs and just being the only woman on that job, it felt like everybody was looking at you. Everybody was trying to ask you out. Everyone wanted to talk to you, you know, at least that, that was my experience with it. So just having some of the guys that were there to be like, hey, she's working, leave her alone. It kind of helped me because I came from, like I said, McDonald's and customer service. You have to be super nice. You can't make any waves. You can't tell someone, hey, leave me alone because everyone needs your attention right now, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was probably the hardest thing to kind of learn in this field is you don't ha- you can, I wouldn't say be mean, but you can say, hey, I'm working. I don't have the time to talk right now. Nicely, of course, but you can't just do that at McDonald's. But I learned that part. I wouldn't say quickly. Maybe it was around my second year, third year as an apprentice where I started learning to have my own voice and speaking up on things. Uh, honestly, I have the members to thank for that because they were very encouraging in that way. So after you completed the program, after the fourth year, did you feel like you were ready for just about anything? Did, did they cover all the bases for you? Did you feel comfortable? I guess that's the best way of putting it. Um, yeah, honestly, at first, of course, you get the nerves of just, you're not an apprentice anymore. It's kind of like, here you go. You're out in the world now, like when you turn 18, you know. But honestly, I did. My first and second year, I feel like I kind of struggled to learn to ask those questions. To, I didn't want anyone to think I was just not paying attention or if I didn't know something, it was because I wasn't paying attention. But all of my teachers were really good at telling me no question is a dumb question. If you don't know, then ask it. And I think in my third and fourth year, I really feel like I came into my own and really started to grasp some of the concepts and the things that we were learning. And then by the time I turned out, yeah, I feel very confident in my ability to be able to figure something out. And if I don't know it, I know somebody who does know it is always a phone call away that would be willing to help me out with it. Mm-hmm. So how so, long did it take before you got to be an instructor, a foreman and instructor? I believe it was six to eight months after I turned out. You like being and an instructor? I really do. I like it a lot more than I thought I would. I thought it would just kind of be a babysitting thing. Or I feel like I just got out of school. Why am I going back to it? But it's really been very fulfilling to see how people learn, to see what some people find easy and some people find really difficult. It's, it's really been fun to watch and to be able to be a part of that and a part of this local helping us grow towards better schooling and better product outcome with our work. It's really been an amazing experience, honestly. We're speaking with Darla Reed, who is a mechanical insulator foreman and instructor, Local 50 of the Insulators. Website is insulators50.com. And Darla, you're, how long have you been uh, in the union now at, uh, at Local 50? I've been here five years, starting my sixth year. Okay, good. Now, I'm just wondering, um, are there a, a number of females that are applying? Because I know the, the trades, especially NAB2, the North American Building Trades Union, they have a mission. They're trying to get more women in the trades for obvious reasons, because uh, <laughs> you make a whole lot more money. You found that out when you when he went to college and couldn't make any money. But I'm just oh, wondering... Yeah. Yeah, you you got to keep in mind you're paving the way, you know, because of what you're doing, you're paving the way for more women to enter, especially the trades. In your case, it would be the insulators. You see that happening right now, Darla. 
Yes, I do. And there have been some women that have been insulators for over 20 years, and I can't imagine their experience, but they helped pave my way. And so, yeah, I do have seen a lot more women coming into the trades from when I first started even. Being just a first-year apprentice, I think I was one of two women in school, and now just to see how many have actually applied and to come through, it's a really big change. And I can definitely see the work being put in to kind of get women into the trade. Yeah. You know, uh, we had many conversations over the years with Gina Walsh. I don't know if you ever met her, but she is with the Insulators, and she's very, very involved with the Trades Women Build Nations Conference. And that's something. Have you ever gone to, to one of those? I actually did. I went this last time in December to D.C. Oh. Oh, I heard that was a that was a good event. That was I think they had like close to four thousand people at that event. So, what, did it you did did you did you pick up any um, anything that, that you could share with our listeners from that conference? Um, yeah, just there's a lot more women coming into it. It was really cool to be surrounded by women, not just insulators, but women in the trades, and to see exactly how many women are doing this. And I know that wasn't even all of them. And it was just really encouraging to see that many women all doing the same thing, paving that same path, kind of building the future for women in the trades. And it was a really cool experience. Just they had a lot of classes they offered, just learning how to lead, learning how to do things in a male field. I mean, mm-hmm. that is the fact. It is a male field. There are some different tools you can use for that. There was a lot of that that was just, it was all a lot of it new, and a lot of it was just reaffirming what I already knew. So that was super encouraging. I'm super glad that I got the, the opportunity to go. Do you see yourself? Obviously, it seems like you're a fast learner. You got that college degree. You got some smarts about you. Do you see yourself perhaps leading a, a, a seminar or something of that nature to help other women get involved in the trades to follow the journey that you that you did? Well, thank you for that. And um, yeah, I could see myself doing that. I don't have as much of a problem now as talking in front of people or being, so to speak, a mentor, I feel like I could do that well, and I could definitely help people in that aspect, and I would like that opportunity eventually down the road if it comes along. I would be happy to help and jump on the opportunity. But the bottom line is this, Darla, that the union pretty much, specifically Local 50, the insulators, pretty much changed your life. It, it was probably, it sounds like it was an eye-opener for you. You probably are thinking, you know, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the folks at Local 50. Do you feel feel like that? Oh, for sure, in so many different ways, not just financially, but this is the first job that I've had in my life where I haven't had to pinch the pennies every month and live paycheck to paycheck. I actually have a savings. I live comfortably. So in that aspect, that's that's been a really big help. But also, it's really helped me to have my own voice and to be my own individual person. And it's given me the confidence to also lead, to speak up when it's right or wrong, you know. You can't, mm-hmm. it's, it's easy to speak up when you know you're right, but it's hard to speak up sometimes when the right thing might get you, I don't want to say in trouble. You might, people might not like it, so to speak. It might make waves for the truth. But just knowing that you have that voice has been a big help in life, not just with work. I hear you. Well, i tell you, you're in a, a growing field here. And again, central Ohio, there's so much going on. And, and, and we keep in touch all the time with the folks in Washington 
about legislation that's just going to expand mechanical insulation, uh, especially the Federal Mechanical Insulation Act. And there's like well over 300,000 buildings that need that. And it's it's a common sense thing. I mean, if you it saves money, it saves energy costs. I mean, I can't even believe it. it you're, you're dealing with representatives in Congress. That's another story. I don't want to get into that. But the bottom line is it, it's a field that. You, I know I could just tell by this conversation, you're very, very happy that you decided to make that move and your brother. Now your brother is your brother boasting and saying, Hey, you know what? I got her in here. Hey, 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 is, is he, is he one of those guys or is he keeping quiet about it? No, he's very humble. He's very, he's really, he's a good brother. I know he's my brother and it feels like I have to say that, but no, he's been a good brother. He's helped me. He's always answered questions I've had. He's never been like, Oh, well, like, Everyone's going to think it's just because you're my sister that you have it easier. I'm happy. Never. He's never uh-huh. been that way. He's just a good guy, a solid guy. Now, I know you're one of seven, seven children. Any, anybody else thinking about going into uh, Local 50 with the insulators? I know there was a couple of them that were looking into it. I think actually three other ones that were looking into it, seeing if they could swing it financially. And I've always been encouraging to them to at least try it. Cause, you know, I didn't think I would like it or do this long term. And I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, just give it a try. It doesn't hurt. And you know what? If you don't like that trade, there's other trades out there. They all need workers. There's no doubt about that. Darla, this has been a wonderful conversation. Darla Reed, mechanical insulator, foreman, instructor, local 50, insulators50.com is a website. Came a long way from McDonald's, girl. So keep, <laughs> keep, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing, okay? I will. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Richard Mack Jr. is an attorney out of Michigan, and we're going to tear apart the Semex decision right after this. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a Local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. 
You can find more at ifpte.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to uh, line number two. Welcome another new guest to America's Workforce. I'll tell you, we're getting a lot of new folks, a lot of new listeners. We appreciate that. Richard Mack Jr. is his name, and I was talking about him at the beginning of the show. This is a guy who has accomplished a lot in a short time, including the negotiation for so many people in Detroit when the city went bankrupt and I see a whistleblower. Richard, I talked a whole lot about you. I'm so impressed except for one thing that's in your resume. Uh-oh. A, Michi- a Michigan grad. I got three kids that went to the Ohio State University. I don't know about this. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, but- Flash, I, I'm a I'm a big fan, my friend. Uh, I wish you my condolences. Um, you know, you guys have had a great storied football career for all so many years. Uh, you know, but hey, you know, some things don't last always, you know, but we brought it back home. We brought the big trophy back home to the Midwest, so you ought to be happy about that. Just, I just am. Come up and visit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Harbaugh did a great job, and now you lost him, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens here, brother. Okay, uh, I want to talk about the Semex decision, which is monumental, but before we do that, uh, we covered the Detroit bankruptcy on the show, and I remember there was – thousands of people, probably tens of thousands of more that were in danger of losing just about everything. And because that's how it is with bankruptcy, bankruptcy, they throw out the pensions. It's pretty common. Talk to me about that part that, that had to be, that had to be very difficult for you. I know you went against a very high profile law firm by the name of Jones day, which is located Mm -hmm. right here in Cleveland, Ohio. They have offices around the world and I know they play hardball. There's no doubt about it, but, uh, Talk to me about what you were able to uh, secure in those negotiations. You, you know, Flash, it was, uh, and thanks again, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of your show, man. It's, it's, a, it's a privilege to be here. Um, it was very heart-wrenching, to be honest with you. I mean, meeting with these, these are retirees, Flash, who, folk who are, you know, union members, they signed up to work for the city of Detroit, whether it's cutting the grass or, you know, doing office clerical work. Um, you know, whatever it is. And, and when you sign up to do that, you say, Hey, I'm going to take a lower pay than I would normally in the private sector, because at the end of my career here, I'm going to get a nice pension. I'm going to get health care when I retire. Mm-hmm. And so you take a little bit less during your career so that you can have that at the end only to work 30 years cutting grass or doing whatever it is you're doing to be told no more retiree health care. Sorry. Your pension is going to be not cut 
They wanted 30% initially. Jones Day Firm did. You know, Flash, it was heart-wrenching to see these retirees who were coming to our firm saying, I either got to pay my rent or buy my medicine. I can't do both. You know, it, it just is so, you know, when, 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 when I got in the field of labor law, one of the things I wanted to do is just make sure that you made a difference. And no other case, I think, demonstrated that than to be able to sit across the, the, the table for Jones Day. Now, it was sometimes 10, 12, 14 hours a day for many days on end. But, you know, we got them, uh, got them some pay increases uh, for the uh, current workers there, uh, you know, the the pension was, you know, four and a half percent. Got a number of different benefits for the workers. Uh, there was a coalition of about twenty-seven unions, about three thousand or so uh, total members. And uh, you know, we were proud to be able to get a number of the things we were able to get as far as improvements in their their working conditions. But I mean, it, even at the end of the day, uh, the fact that the health care for retirees was gone. We did get a VBA, so there's, you know, you get the piece of money per month. Uh, before you're 65 years old, but uh, just heart-wrenching fast. You know, no matter what, I mean, we're able to get some accomplishments. We're able to get some crumbs off the table. But, man, it, it was just to see uh, hard-working people just going to work because they were told a promise of what they were going to get at the end. Uh, right. Now to be having that promise taken from them was just heart-wrenching. And, and you know what bothers me about this is the fact that this that they put their money into that pension fund it, it, yeah. it, the way the way this is often portrayed especially by some in the media is oh boy what a sweet deal they're getting all this money they're they're, they're entitled you heard that a number of times but yeah. uh that's the sad part about this sad so how is yeah. detroit today after after this bank i don't even what when did that happen how many years ago was that uh Richard? Man, that happened uh the detroit was put into bankruptcy there was a Jones Day lawyer, and this has always just baffled me, a Jones Day lawyer by the name of Kevin Orr who was put in charge of the city as it's called as emergency manager. And without going into a whole lot of that, there was a state law which allowed our governor to take over, remove mayors, elected mayors from power. And so our Republican Governor Snyder, you may remember him from the Flint water crisis and some other yep. stuff there that he's been dealing oh, with. Oh, yeah. Uh, our Republican governor removed our mayor from power, put in a Jones Day lawyer as our as our new mayor, as our emergency manager. And so everyone's thinking, well, why did they do that? Oh, however many weeks later, Detroit declares bankruptcy. So it wasn't it wasn't an accident. And of course, Jones Day was the firm that represented Detroit in the bankruptcy, while the newly appointed mayor was the head, the client of the Jones Day firm was running the city. A conflict of interest, uh, it, it, I don't think there'd be a greater. But anyway, uh, Detroit, we're rebounding. Uh, the people are resilient. Uh, the people have, have always had a resiliency that uh, I just think is untested anywhere around the country. You just come to the city, you'll see that there's a vibrancy. You know, our downtown is bustling, but our neighborhoods are getting better. I mean, there's a whole lot more that needs to happen. There's a whole lot more that we need to see from our leadership, our elected leadership. But... The people's heart and passion is really what drives the city forward, Flash. Well, the state's changed, too, because we've been watching your elections over there. It took some time, but, uh, you yeah. know, Snyder's gone. Right to work, 
Is right to work officially gone? Because I know it was kind of a, a slow process. Is it is it finally yeah. done? Next week, uh, it, it goes away February 13th. Uh, again, one of the things, I don't know why Republicans are always so much more efficient than, than I'm a Democrat. Do we Democrats? Uh, uh, but when, when Snyder got into office, within six months, he passed horrible bills. Uh, uh, one of them was the right to work. Uh, in the birthplace of unionization, right. we, are, we were a right-to-work city, a right-to-work state. But, yeah, now that's gone. Um, a whole lot of other horrible bills and reactionary bills that Snyder passed are all now gone or leaving. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we're, we've gotten better, but, it's, it's, again, we're now – we had taken so many steps back as far as progressing for union workers, progressing for uh, the, the average day Joe. And now we're just back to where we were, right? So we've got to continue to move forward. We can't just yeah. eliminate the bad stuff. We've got to keep moving and get some good stuff. I hear you. So I see you work for, uh, what is it, the Miller Cohen Law Firm. You've been there for yes. uh, what, over a dozen years here. Now, you work, I, I know you're, you're counsel to a number of unions, UAW, AFSCME. Is there any others that you want to? You want to mention here on the show? Oh, there's, there's quite a few. I mean, uh, Utility Workers Union, um, you know, we, we do a, work for a lot of different unions uh, across the state, AFT, a lot of the trades, IBW, um, you know, pipefitters, brick uh, 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 plumbers. So, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of different uh, unions that we represent. A lot of, and, and our, I mean, our firm is justice for working people. We do work for unions and we do work for individuals. You never find us on the side of the employer, uh, proudly. Uh, and I've been here, uh, our partner, uh, my partner, Bruce Miller is 96 years young. Uh, I've been here. It's the only professional job I've had the last 25 years. I've been blessed to be here. And, um, yeah, we're just continuing, continuing to grow. We're continuing to, to be proud to step in the courtroom against the Jones days, against the biggest and the baddest. Uh, the bigger they are, the harder we make them fall. I love it. <laughs> There's a reason you're on the show, and you just said it, brother. Richard Mack Jr. joining us on our live line. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to talk about the Semex decision right after this. This is America's Workforce. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Are you looking for a new health care partner for your union members? Let Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield be your champion, making sure your members live their healthiest lives now more than ever. It's important to have a partner you can trust, one who understands the unique challenges unions face. Anthem provides a variety of options to meet your organization's needs and helps you control costs without sacrificing quality of care. For more information, visit Anthem.com slash Labor and Trust. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Union members need to be heard. 
Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at Lyuna.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go back to our live line rejoin Richard Mack Jr. Richard is a legal counsel representing a whole lot of unions. We talked about the Detroit bankruptcy, but right now I want to talk about the Semex decision. This, this is a good one here because we're talking about turning around labor law going back to over 50 years. So, uh, Richard, I'm going to turn it over to you. I, I know you really delved into this, and uh, I've talked about this on the show with, with other guests. This was called the, the Linden Lumber Standard, which had been the prevailing law for well over a half century. So why don't yeah. you explain what happened here? That's all yours, brother. Yeah, yeah. You know, the one thing that I want people to take away from, we've been going across the state doing trainings with any union group that'll listen. Uh, Done five or six so far, I think, maybe even more. Um, You can lose a union election, but still win the unit. Let that one sink in just for a second. You can file for a union election or have an employer file for what's called an RM election. Lose the election at the union but still walk away with the union. That's one major thing that Semex does. So the important piece to this flash is that the statute for organizing a unit, a unit does not require a union election. It says designated or selected. You can have employees sign cards, which say, and the cards have to say, I want UAW, ask me. Utility Workers Union, you fill it in. I want this union to represent me in collective bargaining. Employees sign a card, you get a majority of the unit to sign those cards. The unit's appropriate, which is a different definition. Basically, just don't combine janitors with doctors or, you know, things like that, electricians, things like that. Make sure the unit's appropriate. You have a majority of that group sign the cards. You go to the employer. I demand recognition because the majority of these employees who you employ want me to represent them now. You do that, which should be done in every election. You should, I would recommend you do that in writing so that you can have the date that you did it. The employer then, under CEMEX now, has, six, has 14 days to file its own petition to say, I don't believe the union has the majority. I'm going to put it to the test. I'm going to call for an election. It's called an RM election. Mm-hmm. If the employer doesn't do that, Flash, on the 15th day, 
you send them a letter and say, when are we going to start bargaining? Because the union is therefore established just that quick. So it's, it's a great tool for organizers to really put the feet to the fire of these employers. You get those cards signed. You don't have to give them the cards. There's a great uh, a general counsel memo from Jennifer Abruzzo who wrote a, an explanation of this next decision where she puts in there that she, you don't have to provide the cards to the employer because you wouldn't want to, right? Because now the employer is going to know which of its employees are pro-union and guess who's going to be put on the chopping block, right? Mm-hmm. So you just make the demand, and if they don't respond with an RN petition, or if they don't respond by saying, yes, we're going bargain, if they just ignore you altogether, on the 15th day, you can start asking to bargain. So, and if they do file for an RN petition, and again, that's just for an election, right? If you're just setting up for a normal election, if the employer commits any unfair labor practices during the course of the election campaign, right, what normally happens, all of you organizers out there, you can you can just probably run off a, a, a list as long as a mile of all of the different unfair labor practices, firing the lead organizers, uh, promising pay increases, giving pay increases, uh, threatening to close down, uh, you know, because if you get a union, they're going to go on strike. All of the stuff, the stuff that the mm-hmm. playbook that they normally use and have been using for decades now, those sorts of things are unfair labor practices typically. And if the employer does it, the Semix decision says, even if the union loses the election, you don't have to do a rerun, which is normal. You just say, there's these unfair labor practices the employer committed. And the board will say, we're setting aside the election. We're going back to the original status of this unit, which is they had selected the union by signing those cards. You have a union. That's how you still have the right to get the unit if, in fact, you lose the election. And, and it's a powerful decision because this next board finally realized that when you sign a card, that's making a designation for a union, that's just as powerful, that's just as uh, uh, reflective of your desire as an employee as when you go to the voting box and you check off that you want a union. As a matter of fact, it's even more reflective of your desire because guess what happens between the time that the union files this petition and when you get to the election? There's all sorts of these promises and these threats and this illegal activity, which if I'm an employee and I say, yeah, when I, I want a union, when I sign the card initially, by the time I get to the election, I'm, I'm kind of questioning myself. I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe there is going to be a strike or, or maybe I don't, I don't want, Joe just got fired. He's the one that told me to sign the card. I don't want to wind up like Joe. Right. So there's this process that, when the union is selected, when you sign the card, you're pulling away the desire of the employees by threatening them. And so that's what the Semex board realized, that signing the card is just as good as a vote. Richard, you did a great job explaining this uh, monumental decision here. Now, this decision is, is in effect here. Just correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, is this, is, yes. is this precedent right now? It is in effect right now today. I've had elections under the Semex decision. Uh, yes, our, our office is handling some of those now. It's right now today. But here's the thing, Flash. Here's the thing. And this is where I always, when I'm doing these trainings myself and my partner, Bob Fetter, who's been doing this 20-some years himself, you know, whenever we do these trainings, 
we always tell you this is where elections matter. We put on our political hats. We have in office, I believe, the most pro-labor president we've had. Joe Biden, when he, the first day when he came into office, before he was even sworn in, he communicated with the general counsel from the Trump board and said, I'll take your resignation. And that guy, Peter Robb, says, well, no, my contract's up in November. I don't have to leave in January. Joe Biden said, I don't think you heard me. I'll take your resignation. He put his hand on the Bible, became our president January 20th after Trump tried to take over our country a couple of weeks before. And then after that, one of the first acts he did, he fired Peter Robb. Ten months early. Never happened before. So uh-huh. then you start getting general counsel. And then the guy from under Peter Robb got fired as well. You start getting new general counsels. And the general counsel is a very important office because that person basically sets the stage for what cases are going to be brought before the board. And right. they put out a memo, Jennifer Abruzzo, who's a communication workers of America lawyer, former, put out a memo basically laying out, these are the laws I don't like that the Trump board and other boards have put into place. Regions, 31 regions across the country. If you get any unfair labor practices from any union that are filed on these issues, the law's one way today, but I want you to still file the complaint I'm going to try to get the law changed in front of the board. And then she writes a memo explaining to the board how the law can be changed. The Semex decision is how that was birthed out. She didn't like the election laws, and she pushed to have the law changed before the board. And, in fact, they listened to her for the most part, and that's how we got the Semex decision. So I would encourage every union member to read that memo, the general counsel memos from the Jennifer Bruzo. It's all on NLRB.gov. And if you have ULPs that have been on some of these issues, file the charges. Even if it's not illegal currently, it may soon be. Yeah. You know, but but the one thing, Flash, is if you just think about the environment we're in right now, where we have the most pro-labor president in office, where we have the Semex decision, which makes it much easier for unions to organize, where we have one of the tightest labor markets in history, low unemployment, Wages finally, finally increasing. You, employees now being able to choose union. Well, we have unionization at an all-time high as far as its favorability. What better time, organizers, would you find, <laughs> in my lifetime at least, and I'm 50 this year, what better time would you find to take a group of employees and suggest to them that they take their destiny in their hands and join the union. I don't think there's been a better time for us to organize, but it may not be forever because if Trump wins the next election, he can appoint another board member as early as next year. And then as soon as he's able to appoint more board members, he'll put in these reactionary Republicans and the Semex opinion could soon change. So if we don't put Joe Biden back in office, we may not have Semex for long. Elections have consequences. Yes, they do, Richard. I always say elections matter. It's so important. So take advantage, those of you listening right now, take advantage of this decision and organize and organize and organize. Richard Mack, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. You please uh, stay in touch with us. I could could feel some more conversations coming in the not-too-distant future. Okay, brother? (laughs) I'm looking forward to it, Flash. Love your show, man. Big fan. All righty. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the Alliance for American Manufacturing and labor lawyer Andrew Strom will be joining us. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. 
That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.